I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we had to say goodbye to Westeros. For now, we'll discuss the Season 8 and Series Finale for Game of Thrones. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Is John Wick 3 as good as we'd hoped? I'll have a review of that, as well as A Dog's Journey and a rock and roll documentary. John Wick and A Dog's Journey. Oh, yeah. That is a strange It's a weird week at the movies. We'll also tell you about the new Terminator movie, as Paramount has released the first trailer for the new one that debuts this fall. First, let's head to the Iron Throne. When I was a girl, my brother told me it was made with a thousand swords from Aegon's fallen enemies. What do a thousand swords look like in the mind of a little girl who can't count to twenty? I imagined a mountain of swords too high to climb. So many fallen enemies, you could only see the soles of Aegon's feet. I saw them executing Lannister prisoners in the street. They said they were acting on your orders. It was necessary. Necessary? Have you been down there? Have you seen children, little children, burned? I tried to make peace with Cersei. So yeah, I guess I should say spoilers alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert for the next few minutes. We're going to talk the Game of Thrones finale. So my initial reaction to this finale was that I was underwhelmed. But I was also surprised. So I'm going to comment on each of those points. First, the underwhelmed part. I don't know that it was avoidable to be underwhelmed because my expectations were so high. Yep. So I really didn't know what to expect. I don't want to say that I was let down, but I guess I was kind of let down initially. But second, that surprise. I was pleasantly surprised by how the show caught me off guard. Yes, some things happened that I predicted, but for the most part, nothing that happened was expected. And I think that kind of keeps with the overall mantra of Game of Thrones, which is to say this series does not give you what you necessarily want or what you necessarily expect. So after I watched it that first time, I was a tad underwhelmed, but mostly content and needed time to digest it. I've since gone back to watch it again, and I enjoyed it much more. Although I have some gripes. First gripe. Why were Tyrion and Lannister and Jon Snow still alive as prisoners, presumably weeks later? Right? I mean, you'd think the Unsullied would have just killed them both because they are both traitors to their queen. That's logical to the story, but illogical to ending a TV show and with popular characters. Second, why was Tyrion allowed to come to that <laughs> summit in chains and end up driving the action He's there? He's just that persuasive. He's that good? Okay, third, <laughs> why not introduce everyone who was at that summit? That is irritating. There, there was that Edmure, is it Edmure Tully? Yep. Is that his name? So it was kind of cool that he... He was there. I forgot he even existed. And uh, there were at least two people that are there, though, that I had never seen before. There was a young man who last time we saw was a little kid because yeah. we haven't seen him in five years. That guy, that one I put together, that was, was his name Robin? Something like from that. From the yeah. Vale? Yeah. Okay. Arwen? Robin Arwen? Yeah. Name? Aaron. Aaron? I think. Whatever. Yeah. I didn't I, I didn't figure that out until after I read about it. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was, like, mystery guys. Yeah, there were a couple of guys there. No idea who they were. Uh, presumably one of them was from... The Tyrell clan, I think. Sure. And, and then there was another one that looked like it might have been like from the the, the bear guys, the Umbers or whatever. But right. we don't really know. Um, I think it was the Umbers. Anyway, I was also hoping for more information on Bran. I mentioned it last week. Wanted to know why is the Three-Eyed Raven so important? What was the connection to the Night King? But I guess in the end, all we really need to know is the Night King 
essentially is walking death. He exists to destroy, and Bran, the Three-Eyed Raven, is the living preservation of everything that's happened in history, and still, I wanted to know more. They sort of punted on a couple of storylines, and I think Lost got accused of the same thing, and I mean, they both, they did it, but it's just that thing of, they were ambitious shows, and they bit off a little more they can chew in some regards, and for the finale, decided, look, here's what's important, we'll focus on that, and some strands are out there still and it's just what it is and I'm also curious to know as well like these spin-off shows that they're working on like I know that they had five potential shows in development and who knows how many of them they'll do but I think they're talking about doing one that's set thousands of years before the events of Game of Thrones so maybe then we'll learn more about the White Walkers and the Night King and the Children sure. of the Forest and all that stuff so maybe they're just waiting to show us that stuff also it kind of felt like Daenerys's death was a little weak, but again, maybe that was intentional. Instead of it being this big, shocking scene, it just kind of happened, and then she was gone. Also, how much time ended up passing, like, by the time that small council meeting occurs, where Tyrion is the hand of the king, and he's sitting at the table, because that chamber, which they showed was demolished, completely rebuilt and restored. Like Same Brandon. chamber? Pretty sure yeah. that they showed him walk through that chamber. I don't know. I was going, a lot of it I was judging on, it was like a beard time, right? Just how shaggy did Jon Snow's or Tyrion's beards look. So after there, he was all cleaned up. I was like, I guess it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, I read and I realize I'm nitpicking, and I did That's love right. that small council meeting. I loved that a semblance of normality has returned, and that they, were, they actually could bicker, but it was bickering amongst a group of people who all genuinely care, I think, about each other and about the interests of the people in general and the land. So that's a good sign moving forward. As Tyrion said at that summit, this is the wheel that Daenerys Targaryen wanted to break. She right. wanted the people to be free from tyrants, and by all accounts, it looks like the people are in the hands of good characters who want to do the right thing. So yeah, I've, the story was rushed this season and last season. Could have benefited from sticking to 10 episode seasons, absolutely. But given the scope of all the battles and all the major events that have happened in those last two years, I think it was probably just near impossible to get it done from a production standpoint in the time that they did get it done. So I tip my hat to the people behind Game of Thrones. I think everybody involved should be proud. No, it's not perfect, but what ever is perfect in tv shows nothing it's impossible the nature of tv shows is to try and keep going and going and going and you you hear these people and tell stories about making a tv show and it's you every time i hear anybody talk about making a tv show it's a wonder there are any shows that make it to air because like how do you just not collapse and die from like the stress of that so yeah. to, to think that it would be perfect is insane I do get it, though. If you didn't like it, and so many people didn't like it, Ugh. and you didn't like season seven and season six, I hear you. And I, I've never read the books, so I realize there is a huge contingent of people who watch the show who are fans of the books, and they say that the quality of the show dropped off as soon as the, the TV show passed the books because they didn't have the books to lean on. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't read the books. I want to. And that's the question now. When do those last two books drop? Because I'm wondering if George R. R. Martin, and he said he's not hiding, like he hasn't secretly finished them or anything, because why would he? Because the, the movies, the books will make millions and millions and millions of dollars, and he'll yep. get super, super oh, yeah. rich off that. But I'm wondering if he is secretly finishing them now and getting ready for a Christmas launch, because 
I mean, this is just my own wild speculation. I'm basing this on nothing I have read. But just think about how much money they would make if they got it done this year. Yeah. Uh, probably 100, 200 million copies sold instantly because I would Everyone. go out and buy the books. I think I think everybody who didn't read the books and wanted to wait until the show is finished will go back and read the books. Right. Uh, well, another question I had about the whole deal was why do they still need the Night's Watch? They There's will, nothing there to protect them from anymore. There was the White Walkers or whatever, they're gone. And then there was like the Wildlings who they're now allies with. So it's like, why do you have to do that? And it's like, are you going to like fix the big hole in the wall? Because otherwise, what's the point? It's weird. And I liked how John even said there's still a Night's Watch. Yeah. So it's essentially, I guess, a prison more than anything. I guess so. It's and like, then he's not staying there anyways. He left anyhow. So. Yeah, he just said, forget it. I'm going to go live with, uh, yeah. with Tormund. Tormund. Uh, who's going to go check? Nobody. Because it's a time of peace. Why would they bother? Yeah. So um, the water bottle too. That's just that. That's amazing. That's the the best thing about season eight was the weird gaffes like that, which you had all that a whole extra year to work on these things. Yeah. And then they're just like, oh, we forgot to check to see if that was there. Yeah. Coffee cup that and fun, a water bottle. And there's fun. one point where it actually looks like Samuel Tarley is reaching for the water bottle. And I don't know because he's You're sort in of, the shot guy. Stop it. He's sort of leaning over <laughs> like his hand is down beside his left leg. And I'm wondering if he was secretly fumbling with the water bottle to try to hide it. Oh, that could be. Uh, who knows? But uh, yeah, I think it was good. And I I also like that George R. R. Martin came to the show's defense saying, look, this is a different medium. They only get X number of hours, X number of hours to tell their story. Well, my last two books are going to clock in probably 1,500 pages each. And if I need more, I'll he just, just add keeps more. writing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he's right. And, and it's good to hear him defend it. And he said, will it be the same ending? Well, yes and no. And yes and no. And yes and no. And yes and no. So he essentially answered the question without answering it. So that's Game of Thrones. Overall, were you content? I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was a fine uh, finish. I wasn't as you know jacked about it as a lot of other people were, but I had no problem with that. I'm sort of glad the show's over and we can just put it behind us for a while. And I think when people go back and rewatch it in a couple of years, that ending's not going to bother them nearly as much as it does now. I think there's just that finale hype that gets people that we warned about it beforehand, and it's just like, don't get too excited. It's just a TV show ending. It's it's. It's weird. Like, what would you, what could you possibly want out of that, right? And the people behind the show did say it's going to be a bittersweet ending yeah. for a lot of us. So they that's sw- they swung for it. And surprising people on your last episode—that's pretty good. They should get more credit for that than they're they're getting. Yeah, hopefully they will get more credit as time goes on because it's hard to escape the cloud of hatred that erupts on Twitter. Up next, we're going to talk about a couple more finales and tee up a returning show that the Couch Potatoes have been big fans of for the last seven years, I guess. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And we didn't have time to get into it last week, but there were some other series finales this month that merit some discussion. I'm reminded of the time way back in 2004 when Friends had its big finale and everybody went nuts over it, but quietly the same week, Frasier had its series finale after 11 years and nobody talked about it. I specifically remember a very bitter Kelsey Grammer on uh, Letterman saying, like, honest to God, I think the quote was, you know, Friends isn't the only show that's ending this week. People think that it is, but it's not. Wow. He was mad. He was also mad when uh, his show began right after Cheers that Seinfeld got the old Cheers time slot and Frasier didn't get it. 
Anyways. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. That guy's got had a <laughs> couple of chips on his shoulder. Wow. Anyways. The Veep finale was pretty terrific, funny, and relentlessly unsentimental, saying goodbye to Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Selena Meyer. If you enjoyed that show, you must have liked the finale. There was a Jonah name-calling pylon that made me have to hit pause because I was laughing so hard. And at the very end with that Tom Hanks joke, I was just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was perfect. But I think the Big Bang Theory weirdly won the best finale prize this year. I can't believe that show made me cry at the end. But it did, with Sheldon giving a heartwarming speech as the show zeroed in on the big question that sort of hung over its head all these years with how could people be friends with someone like Sheldon, who was so rude, dismissive, demanding, and unempathetic all this time? Well, Sheldon was finally confronted with that question himself, and his speech was an amazing moment. And then there was a final shot that was fitting sitcoms about groups of friends that are hangout shows, and there was just a simple shot of the gang hanging out, eating Chinese food like they so often did as an acoustic version of the theme song from the Bare Naked Ladies played. So a couple of great sitcom finales there, and there's a lot of holes in my schedule now, Brett. Did you watch Young Sheldon? Do you watch that? I don't watch it. I watched one, and I was like, nah, not really. Did you watch this week's? No, because apparently the the season. Did you hear how it ended? Thing, yeah. Where they showed they showed all of them, all the characters as kids. Right. Yeah, that's right. Someone was telling me that. So that's a nice uh, little add on for those who watch. And, a value add. And both had to do with uh, Nobel prizes as well. Where young Sheldon was like, well, maybe one day I'll win a Nobel prize, and then the finale of Big Bang Theory was about the Nobel Prize Awards. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, so okay. was, there was a lot of tie in there, apparently. But So goodbye to Veep and the Big Bang Theory. Like we've said before, we never gave that Big Bang Theory a chance, and it went on for 12 years. And I actually got it. I watched it a lot, so it was a good show. One of our favorite shows just came back this week. It's Elementary. Explain the hair. What? I know a woman looking to shake things up when I see one. That's predicted. You two understand the criminal mind. Testing our skills is unnecessary. You aren't happy in London. You don't shoot the suspect. Just because I'm American does not mean that I love guns. Why are you being so nice to me? Not I always nice to you. Where else to tackle a case so important? Some place where there's a working toilet? Voila. Elementary begins May 23rd. Yeah, so the seven seasons started this past week, and it will be the final season. It's also only 13 episodes, and that'll be it. Another hole in the TV schedule. Big year for a show's ending. This will be four for me. Season six ended last fall with Sherlock Holmes and Watson moving from New York to London. Who knows if they'll keep that up all season? I sort of hope not because I like the New York cops that are on the show. Nevertheless, one last ride this summer for elementary. I'll miss it, but I don't really complain when a show leaves after six or seven seasons. That's usually enough anyways. If you're looking for something else to watch, did you ever watch that Netflix show Trapped that I told you about? No, but someone else that we work with was just yesterday said, oh, you got to watch Trapped. I just started watching it. It's amazing. Really? Yeah. So I was like, it is on my list still, and I do intend to get to it at some point. Well, it's not a Netflix show. It is a show that's on Netflix. It's an Icelandic show that's on Netflix. It's a murder mystery. And season two just just debuted in the past week or so. I've been waiting for it for months and months. Well, years, really, because it's been two years, I guess, since I watched it. And uh, they've been planning the second season, and I believe that second season started in December in Iceland. So it's finally available on Netflix. So I am planning to watch that next weekend. So I'll have a review of season two in a couple of weeks. You should definitely check that out. I thought of another show that's going to end uh, later this summer when Orange is the New Black comes back. That's its final season too. So that's another series finale. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. And it is, we've got a third season of Stranger Things coming this summer. Is that going to be? I think yeah. they're done after that. Yeah. They Well, they got that problem of kid actors growing up so they got to do something about it and again i don't mind i don't mind if a show ends after a short run 
just to keep that quality up the whole time. For sure. Hey, we got a couple of minutes here to check out what's coming to home video this week. Not to show these boys how we do it. You ready? Higher, further, faster, baby. Yes, Try to keep up. Captain Marvel. I liked that one. I liked it, but when I look back at all the reviews I gave the Marvel movies, it's very much at the lower end. Really? Yeah. I, I, got, I think I gave it three and a half or something like that. I think I gave it three. Or even three. Yeah. It was It was okay. It was. It was. It just wasn't mind-blowing like so many Marvel movies end up being. So, And I, I think I was ultimately kind of disappointed because I was expe- expecting more cool Captain Marvel action. Yeah. But uh, it's still good. It's still worth seeing. I really like the Samuel L. Jackson of it all, which is probably, like, it's the first time that there's a woman, like, uh leading one of these movies and I like the Samuel L. Jackson of it all probably isn't the right comment but I did they they youngified him with the computers yeah. and it looked amazing and usually he pops up outside of Winter Soldier he and maybe that first Avengers he usually shows up for one or two scenes it's cool to see him in a whole movie and Brie Larson's really awesome too that's in uh, that's coming out on digital HD and then on Blu-ray slash DVD and on demand Greta What's that? That's that horror movie about the the creepy old lady. Up next, John Wick 3, Parabellum. Jeff has a review. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I saw a few movies this week. Let's talk about them. Let's uh, do them in order of most exciting, maybe. I don't know. We've got to talk about this one first. It's John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Tick-tock, Mr. Wick. <laughs> you expect him to make it out? $14 million bounty on his head. And everybody in the city wants a piece of it. I say the odds are about even. Welcome back. Let's do this. Chapter 3, rated R, May 17th. Wick is on the run from all the other hitmen in their little assassin universe. He looks for help from old friends from the Continental, like Ian McShane and Lance Reddick, as well as some new friends, well, new to us anyways, like Halle Berry, who's a fellow assassin. And that's basically it. The movie does heighten from the second one, which heightened from the first one, both in terms of action and story. The story involves their assassin world, the high table, which governs them, the Continental hotels, where they all meet but do not conduct their violent business, and so far... They introduce an adjudicator in this one, played by Asia Kate Dillon of the show Billion Same. And the adjudicator goes around checking to make sure everyone's obeying the strict rules set forth by the high table. You may recall the second movie ended with the breaking of some of the rules, Wick killing someone inside the Continental. That's why he's on the run. That's why there's a bounty on his head. The adjudicator also tells the Continental manager, Ian McShane, that he's in trouble for letting that happen. Yada, yada, yada. Everyone fights and lots of people die. Now, the first two movies are famous for their gun-fu, the close-up gunfight where Keanu shoots dozens of people while performing in his little martial arts. Amazing stuff, jaw-dropping stuff. We were enthralled. This movie really, really cranks up the hand-to-hand combat and brings in a lot of knives into the mix. There are still plenty of guns, but there are a few fights that are largely gun-free. Uh, personally, I like the guns, especially when the knifey part gets very knifey. I had to look away once. You'll know when that was, when you see it. The whole theater made the sound that people make when they're grossed out. That moment will join other cinematic moments, Brett, like the ice stabbing a Die Hard 2 and the dog monster coming out of the chair in Ghostbusters that I will simply never see again no matter how many times I watch the movie and I'll watch it a lot I turn my head every time Ghostbusters I fast forward because it takes a while for that bear to or I call it a bear it's not a bear but that dog or whatever it is to come out at her it scared me it gave me nightmares when I was a kid and I just can't watch it anymore (laughs) 
And the icicle in <laughs> Die Hard 2 is just, nah, not even. That's a non-starter. Wimp. This movie also introduces a few animals as weapons. Halle Berry has two attack dogs that are sort of terrifying, especially when she sicks them on you. And a horse is used to hilarious effect. Like I said, they heighten everything. The story expands, filling in some of the questions we had about that world from the other movies, but also introducing new questions. I found it worked fine, but they could sort of cool it on that front for the next one, if you ask me. It's always sort of been silly, but it's threatening to get just kind of ridiculous. I do like how it's more of a show-don't-tell situation. They don't waste a lot of time. I'm explaining how stuff works, although I guess the adjudicator does spell out some stuff. Otherwise, you just sort of see things in action and figure out what the rules are sort of in this world. The first movie didn't have a, a big bat as far as a fighter goes. It had the mob boss, but in an even fight, Wick wastes him easily. The second movie brought us Common, who was a fellow assassin in a good match, which led to a really great fight. This movie has Mark Dacascos, a B-movie martial artist who's been in several dozen movies, and I just realized from looking at his IMDb earlier that I know him from Hawaii Five O. He's definitely formidable when it comes to fighting, and he has a fun and funny personality. He and Wick have a fight that seems to go on forever, and in fact, that might be the chief complaint about this movie is that it is simply too much at times, especially near the end. The movie's over two hours long, and when you consider how simple the story is, there's no reason for it to be that long. First John Wick movie is just an hour and 41 minutes. On the other hand, the fights near the beginning and the Halle Berry fights with the dog in the middle are phenomenal. The aforementioned Ian McShane as manager of the Continental and the concierge Lance Reddick get a little more to do in this one too. They're always phenomenal. Uh, that goes towards the plot. A lot of it is later in the movie, so I don't want to get into it, but Reddick is one of those guys, especially, who makes a movie or a TV show better just by being in it. He walks onto screen, and I get excited every time. The other supporting characters are fine, not particularly exciting, like uh, Angelica Houston and Lawrence Fishburne's back. He's the king of the Bowery once again, sort of a subculture of assassins dressed as homeless people. One of his main guys is played by comedian Jason Manzukis, who... You may know as Dennis Feinstein from Parks and Rec, more recently Detective Adrian Pimento from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, or Maximum Derrick from The Good Place. He doesn't get a lot of interesting things to do, but I love him and I love seeing him, and I know that he was jacked to score even a bit part in a John Wick movie. Overall, it's a sort of it's a perfect addition to the series, I thought, in that it takes things to the next level and feels like a natural extension. Everything sort of feels earned in that regard, no matter how audacious it may be. The series began like that, and it continues in fine fashion, I think. If you like the others, you'll like this. Definitely go see it. A fourth movie's already been greenlit, and I hope it's the last. I know we're in an era where movie series are going much deeper and staying largely successful, but let's not time fape too much, please. Let's just let it end with a bunch of good ones and no bad ones. But John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, four and a half Coach Cushions out of five. Sweet. You're, I'm now even more excited. I'm actually going yeah. to see it this weekend. Oh, so. you're going you're gonna to like it, Brent. Okay. What's next? Oh, uh, Next, also also out a movie that's, uh, well, I guess it's the exact opposite of a John Wick movie. It's a family film called A Dog's Journey. I've lived a lot of lives as a lot of different dogs, and Ethan was always my purpose. Go! Until I met his granddaughter, CJ. Hmm, there's nothing in that cup. Oh. Now I had a new purpose, to protect CJ no matter what. There might actually be someone looking out for me. Where did you come from? There's a lot you don't know about that dog. 
This is a sequel to 2017's A Dog's Purpose. In January, there's also a movie called A Dog's Way, which was not directly connected to these, but was made by the same people. So this one is a sequel to Purpose. And like the clip said, it's about a dog who experiences several lifetimes, always the same soul, but in a different dog body as the years go by. The dog is always voiced by Josh Gad, regardless of whether the body at any given point is male or female. Always Gad. Uh, I gather Dennis Quaid was a big deal in the first movie. His character probably met the dog as a boy, and every dog he had was the same dog soul or something. I have not seen that first movie, although it does come to Netflix next month, so I don't get a chance to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's basically what happens in a dog's journey, anyways. The dog starts with Quaid, and then Quaid tells him to take care of his granddaughter. The family dynamic is the big deal here, aside from, you know, the magic dogs. Quaid and his wife, Mark Helgenberger of CSI fame, are farmers in Wyoming or somewhere. They had a son who got married and had a kid, but then the son died before the movie starts. We don't see him. So their widowed daughter-in-law and young granddaughter, CJ, live with them at the start. But the daughter-in-law is bad, Brett. She's a terrible mom. She drinks too much, and she's just an all-around pill. One day she gets so fed up, she takes CJ and moves to Chicago, despite the protests of Grandma and Grandpa Quaid and Helgenberger. Then Quaid's dog dies and says, you have to find CJ and take care of her, because honestly, a dog would do a better job of raising a kid than the mom in this movie. So the dog shows up as a different dog, and in fact, over the next 20 years, every time CJ gets a dog, a new dog, uh, it's always the same dog. It's always Josh Gad voicing it, even though she doesn't know it. Obviously, we don't know if this can actually be the case, so as far as the movie's concerned, why not? I went with it. I enjoyed myself. Cried like a baby a couple of times. They did a good job of that. Uh, if Well, I mean, if I were alone at home, I would have cried like a baby. I was in the theater with my girlfriend and her kids, and her kid's friend, a shout out to Alex, who's a longtime fan of the Couch Potatoes. I, I did what I could not to cry in front of everybody. It, it was hard, though. It's a good thing that movie theaters are dark sometimes. <laughs> it's okay to cry, Jeff. I don't know. Nah, it is... You it's a, sometimes it's not, Brent. Yes, it is. It's a dog's movie. It's a Come dog on. movie. Yeah. This isn't a great movie, but it's a pretty good family movie. You can tell where the story is going. It's still a good story. A lot of the jokes didn't land, but the heartfelt stuff sort of always did. Uh, bludgeons you with sentimentality, and if you hit something a hundred times, you will leave a marks, even if it's not the most graceful way of proving your point. The portrayal of the villainous mom was really my only real problem with this. It's a broad movie, and for storytelling reasons, I sort of get why she's played that way, but it was very distracting. Anyways, if you like those other cutesy-poo dog movies, you'll dig this. If you're looking for a family movie that isn't animated or full of superheroes, it's a pretty good option. Three couch cushions out of five for a dog's journey. Okay, so that's two movies. John Wick 3, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Yes. A dog's journey. And there's a new documentary, or rockumentary, in some theaters now. It's called Asbury Park Riot Redemption Rock and Roll. Asbury Park was this exotic feast for the eyes and ears. There was a moment in time something happened here that wasn't happening anyplace else. That Jersey sound is distinctively Jersey. The only art form half created by blacks, half created by whites. Music does bring people together. The greatest music ever made. It was everything to our whole generation. 
I think the simplest way to figure out if this is for you is, if you know what Asbury Park is, you might be interested. It's the birthplace of Bruce Springsteen's career. It's a boardwalk town on the Jersey Shore that was known in the 60s and 70s for its music scene. The documentary, which features interviews with the boss and many members of the E Street Band, both past and present, tells the story of the town from the time Springsteen and his friends were making music until the day the music stopped abruptly and tragically and where the town is now and where it's headed in the future. If you're familiar with Springsteen's history, especially if you read the book he wrote a couple of years ago, you'll recognize a lot of the characters and landmarks in the town, places like the Upstage Room and the Stone Pony. The documentary is actually more interesting than I sort of thought it was going to be about 20 minutes into it. I always said leaning in for it to be just a deep dive into the music scene in Asbury Park, which it is, but then the story took some unexpected turns. I don't know if Bruce skipped over the part in the book or I skipped it while reading or just don't remember, but that town was critically hobbled in the wake of a race riot in 1970. So many stores and businesses were destroyed and simply never rebuilt that uh, it just converted the bustling boardwalk town into a ghost town for many years. Then, even more surprisingly, came the eventual rebuilding in the past... 20 years. It's sort of amazing and it made me smile and the future looks a lot brighter in Asbury Park than it did not too many years ago. As for the music scene, there are a lot of parallels in this documentary to another documentary I like a lot, Cameron Crowe's PJ20, which was the 20th anniversary documentary about Pearl Jam. Like Asbury Park in the 60s, the Seattle scene in the 90s featured a lot of talented musicians who popped in and out of bands all over, t- all over town. They kept swapping players back and forth. They all knew each other. They're all friends and they all just lived for the music, which which is sort of the point of the whole scene. Anyways, if you're a Springsteen fan, it's sort of a must-watch if you want to get into his history. If you're not a diehard Bruce fan or a huge music nerd, the overall story is still pretty interesting, but you might find it a bit dry, especially at the beginning. It is playing in some Cineplex theaters this week. It's not showing five times a day or anything. You might have to hunt for it. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Asbury Park, Riot Redemption, and Rock and Roll. So prior to this, I did not know what Asbury Park was. Oh. I'm still not interested in yeah. watching this, though. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Being a Bruce fan definitely helps. He's got a new album next month, and hope I'll probably make make you listen to me review that as well, Brett. And just for some, uh, some, we'll take you behind the curtain for a moment. We got this email which to each of us, and it was a follow-up email because the email had been sent out already. It was an invite to say, like, hey, do you want to watch this screener? As I was typing up a, re- a reply because I saw it had to do with Bruce Springsteen, right. and I thought, holy smokes, Jeff Braun is going to want to watch this. I'm typing up the reply, <laughs> and then in my inbox comes a reply from Jeff because you saw it, I guess, at the exact same time that I did and thought, how did we miss this? Yeah. Those are email shenanigans or something. I'm glad I saw it. Up next on the Couch Potatoes, Arnold is back with Sarah Connor. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. Jeff, you recently saw the first two Terminator movies, right? Absolutely. Well, the timing of that momentous event couldn't have come at a better time because the first trailer has arrived for Terminator Dark Fate. Who are you? My name is Sarah Connor. Never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Sarah Connor is back. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with the Terminator franchise, 1984, James Cameron releases this little sci-fi about a robot from the future who is sent back in time to kill 
the woman who will eventually give birth to the man who leads the humans, the human rebellion, to victory over the machines. That Terminator is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Linda Hamilton was Sarah Connor. Then there was a sequel, I think in 1990 or 91, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and there were several sequels since. Now, this movie is playing as a direct sequel to T2. Okay. So it's a legacy sequel. It's ignoring all of the other movies that have come since then. But so the first two count. The first two count. So there have been five Terminator movies in total. There was, So this one's going to ignore 2003's Terminator Rise of the Machines, which I still love, by the way. It's super fun. I should lend you that, although I only have it on DVD. I don't know if you even watch DVDs anymore. And now it's this new one's not going to count that one. I'm just going to get confused if you do that, Brent. Okay, but still fun. Uh, 2009's Terminator Salvation will now be ignored. That movie was not good. That's the one with Christian Bale. Christian Bale's rant? Yeah. Yeah, That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, the rant on set. And then uh, 2015's Terminator Genesis, which was terrible. And uh, director Tim Miller is at the helm of this. He did the first Deadpool movie. And James Cameron is back as writer slash producer. So I'm excited for this. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is back. He's aged in this. And as they explained in Terminator Genesis, he aged because even though he's a robot and he's ageless, the flesh component of his cyborg does age. But at the end of number two... Spoilers for Judgment Day. He melts himself in the vat. So I don't know which Terminator he's playing. I don't know if somehow he survived that or if this is another one that somehow came back in time, maybe at the same time. I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah, he's in it. So it looks cool. Can't wait. It debuts November 1st. There was also something else you got excited about. Oh, yeah. Another very special trailer this week. Every surface in this house to gleam and sparkle. The post's just arrived, my lord. Heaven. What is it? The king and queen are coming to stay. What? Here we go. A royal luncheon, a parade, and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. You and me both, Mrs. Patmore. Oh, it's exciting, Brett. The Downton Abbey movie trailer. And it seems the king and queen will be visiting Downton. That'll be fun. By the looks of it, they're bringing their own butlers and stuff, so there's a turf war between the Downton staff and the royal staff. I honestly didn't remember how much I missed this show until I watched this trailer this week. It hits theaters September 20th. I imagine a PBS run of the movie would follow shortly after that. The poster they put out, though, says in theaters only. So I think that, But I think they're probably just trying to get people into theaters, but I can't see why it wouldn't end up on TV eventually. That's all the time we have for the Couch Potatoes. Next week, I'll have a review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.